So today, as you have guessed, and as you have seen, I'm going to talk to you about some open source intelligence tools and some of the, the thought that goes behind it. And maybe I can even share a couple of cool tips that you can, you can try with your organization or even with, your, with yourself. But before we get into that, we've got to talk about hackers themselves. And I came across this picture and I absolutely love it. I think it really gives such an accurate depiction of all the different portrayals of hackers. Um, you know, from a government perspective, from what you know, definitely what my what my friends think I do, certainly what, what I think I do, and probably the most accurate one there, what I what I really do. Um, so yeah, we've all got so many different opinions about hackers and so many different perceptions. I know the technical term is actually a penetration tester, but uh, I find that a little a little dirty. So I usually go with ethical hacker. And I mean, to give you a, this is something I would usually ask in a group, but in a social scenario, I would usually ask, you know, I'd, I'd usually tell people what I do for a living. And almost nine out of 10 times, I'd get the same question. You know, as soon as I told people that I worked as a professional hacker, they would ask me, can I hack their spouse's Gmail or Facebook? That was, yeah always the number one question that I was asked. So just to uh, talk about a couple of stereotypes, as you can see, I do have a beard. You have to have one as a hacker. I, I don't live in my mom's basement or anyone else's for that matter, but I do own a few cats, of course, and they seem to sniff out when, I have, when I'm on a presentation or on a call. So if they do come and start making a noise, I'm sorry. That's, no, there's nothing I can do about that. So who am I for real? As you know, my name is Robert Lynn. I work for Mobile Binary. I'm in Cape Town and I'm the lead analyst. I don't want to go into too many other details, otherwise it feels a little bit like, um, you know, hobbies on a dating site. So I won't do that. Um, what you will we'll notice in my presentation is that I'm not a big fan of a lot of text. So you'll, you'll unfortunately have to hear my voice quite a bit, but it will be very visual, quite a few pictures. That's what I, I enjoy more than anything. And uh, so yeah, you, you, won't, you won't be read to or lectured to too much. But before I get started on my presentation, at least on the, on the details, I wanna just talk to you a little bit about Mobius Binary, because I know you have been introduced certainly to Mobius Consulting, and so Mobius Binary work hand in hand, but we are the penetration testing arm of, of Mobius Consulting as such. And so just to give a quick overview of some of the things we do, Internal penetration testing, you know, looking at the inside of your network. External penetration testing, you know, can we hack you from the outside? Web application penetration testing, you know, a deep dive into your web application itself. Vulnerability assessments, uh, as well as firewall network and, and all sorts of device reviews. Also look at operating systems, databases, mobile applications, which has become very popular. Continuous red teaming, which is something that really fascinates me security testing and training courses and uh, security testing advisory and to give an example about continuous red teaming you know this is a, this is a field that you know i certainly believe in as a as a pen tester something that a lot of organizations should should aspire to do because really red teaming is is the real world example you know attackers don't always have will never have scopes you know that you give a pen testing team so red teaming is that ability to hack an organization any way possible. And I was listening to a blog of a UK company, Pentest company that had a red team engagement and their goal, they were trying to sneak into the organization and they wanted to plant a device on the network. And from that, 
hack the organization and they could not sneak in no matter what. Um, they were being really well blocked out and they couldn't get in and they tried all their tricks. And then with a bit of lateral thinking, they had one of their female employees get a fake pregnant belly and they gave her a tray of coffees and she came into the waiting, into security and they let her straight in. So their teaming is really smart, really interesting. And I think something that a lot of people should consider for their organization. So now that we know Mobius Binary and what we're all about and all these, these services that we offer, you know, who are we so worried about? You know, who are all these hackers? What, what is, you know, what are we freaking out about? And like everything in life, it makes sense to categorize them because they're not all equal and the threats aren't necessarily always clear. I mean, a lot of the time we have these enormous breaches and databases just get dumped on the internet and, and nobody even makes a penny off them. You know, so there's some strange things going on out there. There's definitely a lot of money being made from hacking, but, but not always. Sometimes it's reputational, sometimes there's, there's different intents. So by, by really breaking it down, we learn a little bit more about who the, who the attackers are and, uh, and what the risks are. So first up, one of my cats learning, being taught, is are script kitties. And script kitties are an old term coined by the first generation of hackers, really for the low-skilled attackers that don't really know what they're doing. They, they, they get hold of hacking tools, they think they know what they're doing, and they run them against organizations and against IP ranges. And, and a lot of the time, they actually get lucky. They get in, and then they think they're great, and they carry on doing it. The problem is these days, script kitties are, are really dangerous because, because of the prevalence of hacking tools. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of us have heard of Kali Linux, which is freely available. Um, if you haven't heard of it, <laughs> go download it now. Have some fun yourself. Just don't get, uh, don't get caught. And Kali Linux, I mean, is practically military-grade tools out there. You've got hundreds of hacking tools, and it's totally free. Anybody can download it. You don't need to register. You can download it, run it. And you've got all these amazing tools. You know, throw that in. You've got YouTube. Suddenly, there's hours of videos on YouTube. You, you can spend some money in, at Udemy. You can even go and get yourself a hacking certification. And so, from from going nowhere, from having no idea, you can get pretty skilled up and pretty well armed in terms of hacking tools in a really short amount of time. So, script kiddies have become a lot more dangerous and a lot more prevalent. They are generally lower skilled. But if you leave something unpatched and you leave a hole out there, they can get you. So they, they are definitely something to be concerned about. And it might be showing my age, but it reminds me of the classic 80s movie War Games where, where Matthew Broderick starts messing around on his computer with his modem and inadvertently almost starts a nuclear war. So CryptKitties can definitely give you a headache. Then we've got the lone wolves. And these guys, I find them the most fascinating because they're not doing it for the money. They are generally pretty skilled. And with them, there's a lot of underground up one-upmanship. They're, they're competing with each other. They're looking for who's the coolest hacker on the dark web. You know, they're breaching organizations and, and doing all sorts of interesting stuff. And then they end up dumping a lot of the stuff, you know, on the internet for free, you know, accessible to anyone. So they're really interesting uh, and really dangerous. Then we've got hacktivists. These guys also 
very, very skilled, very dangerous, very determined. You know, they have a, a sense of justice. And with that, you know, they are the, the judge, the jury and the executioner. And if you upset them or you do something they believe is wrong, they can come after you. And I mean, everything from the Vatican to the Ku Klux Klan, they, they've come after, or at least Anonymous, who's probably the, the best known group of activists. And, and not even in South Africa are we immune to them. You, know, you can often think like, you know, who's going to look at us all the way over here. But I think in 2016, Anonymous went after a lot of Gupta-owned companies, possibly even SABC. So if you do some stuff in the public domain and upset anonymous, you could be a target. And they don't just hack, they, they're pretty successful in denial of service as well. And then we've got organized crime with all respect to Don Corleone. And, and these guys are probably the most dangerous of the whole collection. Um, Organized crime are the ones making enormous amounts of money. They're implementing ransomware if they get into your, into your organization or, or hack your systems. Who knows what can happen, what they can do. They can steal your data, they can sell it. But as we all know, ransomware has become such a marketable form of hacking. You know, once they're in, all your, all your files, all your backups, everything is, is encrypted. And without paying them for the key, it's gone. And I mean, there have been some enormous ransomware examples. Uh, the Colonial Pipeline earlier this year was over $4 million, which was paid. Um, CWT Global, I think, was also around about $4 million. CNA Financial, which is the motherland, was $40 million, was paid also in 2021. So these guys are, are serious, and they're very well organized, and they run like a business. Um, with incredibly skilled hackers. And, and to give an, an example, a friend of mine who, who runs an accounting firm, a small firm, had, you know, had that horrible, horrible, horrible vision of coming to work in the morning and seeing those skull and crossbones across all the screens. And he didn't have much of a backup. He didn't have much you know, business recovery. He was, he was really in a lot of trouble. And so he thought he's gonna pay these guys. What else can he do? And he didn't know much about Bitcoin. He didn't know how to set up a Bitcoin account and pay and all the, the complexities with it. So on that screen with the skull and crossbones was a phone number. And he phoned the number and he got hold of a call center. And there were people on the other end of the call center who were very helpful. And they helped him pay and it got his files back. And at the end, he was, he was really happy with the service. It was, <laughs> it was a really well-run business with, um, yeah, with exceptional service and and clients, even client-facing people to help you get the money. So organized crime, plus probably our biggest risk as, as organizations today. Taking things to the next level, we've got the nation states and these guys are just, you know, if they're after you, it's, there's not much you can really do to get away from them. They have the utmost skill, the utmost budget, you know, and they're fighting these, these shadow wars between each other that, most of the time is unbeknown to us. I mean, and some of the stuff we see, Stuxnet, the shadow brokers, um, the NSO group, which although is a private company, has you know, certainly skills from military, you know, hacking iPhones without users knowing. So nation states are, are terrifying. Hopefully never come after any of us. So how are organizations still being hacked? That's, that's the question. I mean, we're spending enormous amounts of money 
on, on all sorts of, of technologies, yet somehow it, it seems to be happening more and more, uh, not less and less. And so just like this, this little mousey in the picture, he's squeezing through that gap. You know, we've all got a gap somewhere in our organization. You know, no matter how well sealed we think it is, there, there is always a weak point. There really is. And often it's in the form of social engineering. I mean, in fact, it, it, a lot of these big compromises, the, the colonial one that I spoke about, the, the colonial pipeline, um, that was actually just a, a compromised password, one password that led to, you know, $4 million in, in ransom. It's often phishing. Uh, I mean, we grew up at least with first generation email, you know, links were there to be clicked and attachments were there to be opened and there were videos of dancing babies and all these wonderful things. And now, you know, there's so much mixed messages. People are scared to click emails, you know, for obvious good reason. So there's people, there's passwords, there's, there's all these different risks. There's IoT devices, and, and this will tie into something I talked about a little bit later. Um, there was a, an I read an incredible story about a casino heist in the US where in this casino, I mean, a physical casino, they had, they had a giant fish tank. And in the fish tank was a thermometer that was connected to the internet. There was an IoT device directly connected to the internet. And somebody at that casino must have, have realized this, you know, at least I think so. And finding that the IP address or finding the access to that IoT thermometer in the fish tank was able to actually get onto the internal network and compromise the casino. Incredible stuff. So IoT, you know, those little cracks are there. And, you know, it's not like in Hollywood where we see, you know, these guys with amazing monitors and screens and visual displays and they're banging on keyboards and they're in. It's often smaller pieces that lead onto one another. You get something here that leads you, you know, to the next step, to the next step, and suddenly you've reached the organization like a little nugget. And it reminds me of something, you know, completely non-cyber related. Um, a blog written by Kyle McDonald, which is a Canadian blogger, and he, and he did this really incredible experiment where he, over the course, I think over a year or a year and a half, he, sw he swapped one red paperclip for a house. Not directly, but one for, he swapped that red paperclip for something else and that for something else. And, and along the line, eventually, until he swapped something for a house. And it all started with that one red paperclip. And, you know, the question's got to be, you know, what is that red paperclip in your organization? What is that one piece, you know, that if an attacker gets hold of, he's going to get something more and he's going to get something more and he's going to get something more. And so, I mean, at this point, we could branch off into so many different topics about cybersecurity and about social engineering and about hacking and, and all these fascinating things, but we're going to take a particular path and we're going to talk about OSINT or Open, open Source Intelligence Gathering. And so all the guys we've mentioned, you know, from the script kiddies to organized crime, in one way or another, they are conducting open source intelligence gathering. And, and the better they are, as hackers, the better they are in, in gathering this information. This essentially is the way to find that one red paperclip. And as Abraham Lincoln was, was so famously quoted of saying, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first four hours sharpening the ax. And open source intelligence gathering is sharpening that ax. And I mean, it, it's such a big topic. It, it really is. I mean, there are, there are 
you know, hacking conferences dedicated to the, to OSINT alone. So, I mean, we can go down so many paths here and, and I wish, you know, I could speak about it for hours and hours, but I certainly won't do that to you guys today. But for me, the, the stalker wall, which I've used in this really represents it nicely. Um, because what you see in so many movies is both the cops and, and the serial killers use the stalker, stalker wall. Because what it lets you do is you collect all these useful pieces of information, all these seemingly random, unconnected pieces of information. And then that red yarn ties them together. And that's what open source intelligence gathering really is about. Finding all these, all these pieces of information, searching about the organization, picking up little pieces that might not seem valuable at the time, but when you lay them all out and when you draw those lines together, they can be very, very interesting and very damning without even realizing it. So let's talk about some of these tools. So this is certainly not, this is not extensive. This is not, um, you know, everything Mobius Binary does in terms of our open source intelligence gathering when we, when we look at an organization. But I'll, I'll talk you through a couple of the really easy ones and ones you can do yourself. Um, you know, they're not incredibly complicated. You can have a look at them yourself and, uh, and see what you find. They, they are definitely fun. So the best place, and I think probably the easiest place is with Google, good old Google. Um, it's a friend and a foe, that's for sure. And you know, Google is so widely used and so popular because it's so brilliant. You know, it, it does its job so well. And that job is discovering websites and indexing the files and their contents. Um, you know, Google is a master at doing that. And I'm pretty sure most of us, all of us have in some way or at one time Googled ourselves. How well have we Googled our organizations? You know, it's one thing, you know, we can fire up fancy scanners and do all this wonderful stuff, but sometimes just a little bit of Googling can, can show you more than you, than you would have imagined. Um, and we'll often start an assessment you know, from the furthest point back from a good old search engine, just to give you an idea of some of the cool things you can find and do with it. So a few years ago, a term Google Dorks was, was invented or yeah, cooked up. And Google Docs are really just Google search strings that you can put into Google that end up displaying you lots you know, of sites that are vulnerable to these Google Docs. So, I mean, you can see in the screen, you know, in URL robots or PHP. And so by searching these particular strings, you will find hundreds of sites that are vulnerable to these particular, particular items. And it's astonishing to see how many sites you can find. I mean, and there are, there are hundreds of different Google Docs, different ones of these strings that you can browse for free. Uh, it's hosted by ExploitDB, so you can go into the site. You can look at all these, you know, all these Google Docs, search them yourself, and you will find vulnerable systems on the internet. Don't need anything else. You haven't actually touched the system yourself. You've just Googled it. And that information is out there. You know, it's, it's already been indexed by Google. So how does Google do it? It does it with, with operators and we'll, we'll talk about that. But if here's an example, and this is, is from my browser and uh, I'm just looking, you can see the Google, the in title. So in the title page, I'm looking for index of and a file called database.py, which is a Python file, which will have database config in it. And here we go, there's 425 results. So straight away, 
you can see Google is picking up all sorts of stuff here. And what a worry, you know, what does it find on my organization? Are they dev servers of mine that nobody's touched that Google's indexed? You can be sure if you have them, Google has indexed them. And how it does it is with Google operators. And, and I suppose the, you know, the one short factor here is that it's not focused on an organization. You know, this is just giving you a general look of all these, of all these pages, but you can focus it. And by using the site Google operator, as you can see here, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm targeting our good old Mobius Consulting. I'm targeting, I'm showing, telling Google only show me Mobius Consulting and show me all file types PDF. And suddenly I've got 58 PDFs here that are hosted on the Mobius Consulting domain. Sure, these are put out there on purpose, at least I hope. But maybe you can see the, the potential power and, and the potential slip up here. So when we're looking at a company domain, you know, company.com, I'm going to look at site company.com and file type, and I'm going to go through every single file type I can think of, zip files, raw files, Excel files, text files, and Suddenly, you find one that slipped onto a share somewhere or a web, you know, a web share somewhere, a site somewhere, Google's indexed it. You would never find it otherwise. It'll take you a long time. But through Google, you pick it up in a moment, and there you go. And, and in the past, I've picked up text files with passwords in, you know, before I've even started an assessment. By doing this, you know, the Google operators and searching a little bit more, you know, closely against the organization, I found a file with passwords. And I'm putting that on my stalker wall straight away. Here we go. I've got some passwords. Next on the list of wonderful things to, to search through, open source as well, is Shodan. And I'm sure a lot of people have heard of Shodan. And it's a search engine, but not for files and websites, for internet-connected devices. And I spoke about that, that thermometer, that IoT thermometer in, in the casino. If that was connected to the internet, Shodan would pick it up. So Shodan gathers all this information about these devices that are directly connected to the internet. It reads the banners, it reads what port they're on, and it stores all that as metadata. And here we can see a, uh, a simple search that's showing us a whole lot of webcams, you know, available for viewing. So that's one thing. I thought I'm going to take a screenshot. I'm going to do my own little query and make it a bit more relevant. And, and just like Google, Shodan has some incredibly granular operators. And so I thought I would have a look. And what I did was I searched for South Africa only on port 445, which is SMB file sharing with authentication disabled. And here we have 708 South African systems indexed by Shodan, file shares with no authentication. Terrifying, you know, and hopefully none of these are your IPs. And by, by just looking through Shodan, by looking at it, you haven't touched these, these devices. If I click through, then I'm actually touching them, which I don't want to do. But this shows you that granular power. And the beauty here, which I think the takeaway for anyone here, is just by adding the net colon operator, you can search all your own subnets and all your internet-facing IP addresses. So you can do it broad. You can search for particular ports. You can do some wonderful stuff just by using the Shodan operators. So. We've seen Google can show you all the files that are that are sneakily hidden about. Shodan can show you all the systems that are out there. You know, you don't need to, to fire up, you know, lengthy Nmap or even Nessus from far. Shodan will give you some very, very interesting information. Next up, we're going to talk a little bit about who is and domains. 
And so this one is a nice way of getting more targets and attackers use it all the time. And, and I've actually taken this, as you can see, I've, I've blurred out some of the information and I hope I don't upset anybody, but I've actually taken this from a publicly available Cape Town tourist, not tourist business site, um, government site. And the contact name, the admin contact name, which I've pointed to there, is the username, at least the email address associated with a domain when registered. And so whenever you register a domain, you can include this information. But it's a dangerous thing to do because reverse who is allows me to see all the domains registered by the particular email address. So by having a look at this email address, I do the reverse who is of it, and I suddenly see a whole lot of other domains that have been registered. So now from that one target, I've got 13 more. So I can now take these domains, go search them on Google. Then if they resolve to different IP addresses, I've got different IP ranges to look at on Showdown. And suddenly my targets from one domain, from one site are broadening rapidly. Now that I've got all these domains, I can also have a look at the certificates. So the, the certificate transparency logs, these are shared and these are open to the world. So for any domain, they're registering, or at least if they're buying certificates for those domains, there's a good chance that there's a record of it. And just like I, I, I picked on Mobius Consulting a little earlier, I'm going to do it again. And now I've picked up some subdomains for Mobius Consulting. I've got demo.mobiusconsulting and journaling, which I didn't know about otherwise. And now once again, I can start digging a little bit deeper on these. I can see what's, what's indexed on them. Google would have picked that up, but I've got different targets. Perhaps they're on different IP ranges and suddenly just by using some free online tools, I'm getting more information. I'm finding deeper targets. Another one, and this DNS Lytics is actually a free tool. And there is a paid version, but you can get it as a browser plugin. And, and it's an attack vector that often companies forget about, is that there's a lot of shared hosting going on there. So I looked at Mobius Consulting, and I see there are 312 domain sites hosted on the same web server. So if I'm doing a pen test against Mobius Consulting, I can't touch these other sites. But if I'm a hacker, they're all up for grabs. If I can penetrate one of these sites, maybe I can get access to the underlying operating system. And maybe from there, I can deface the Mobius site, read database files, find passwords. So you've got to ask yourself, where are all your sites hosted? And who else is hosted on them? You know, who are you sharing infrastructure with? And DNS Lytics is a fabulous tool for that. And there's a paid version as well, not a lot, where you can really do a lot of queries. So have a look at them. They're really cool. Another brilliant online tool is DNS Dumpster. It's similar information that we've picked up, you know, it aggregates and finds all these incredible DNS sources of information. So I put in Mobius Consulting. I found demo and journaling and WW and all the sites that you know, we spoke about that were discovered. But the beauty with DNS Dumpster is it maps them all as well. And now you can see these are all connected. You can actually see them in terms of the circuit numbers themselves, the MX records, how the DNS is hosted. Totally free DNS dumpster. Put in your domain name and see what, what attackers can see about your organization in terms of the circuitry and the DNS. Have I been pwned? Very popular site. Everybody I know knows about it. You can search your email addresses in here. But what have I been pwned? Pwn tells you is whether or not your email address and password exist within a dump, within a breach database. 
you don't see that data. You then go have to find those dumps yourself. Not cool, not fun. Nobody really wants to do that. Hackers aren't doing that. Hackers are using tools like Dehashed. And this also for a small fee, and I have no affiliation to them. I'm not making any money off it. But Dehashed, you actually see that data. You can search your email address. You can search anyone's email address, and you will actually get access to all the dump passwords you know, associated with that address, usernames, all sorts of information out there. So as an open source tool, phenomenal, really brilliant, really deep, lots of information out there. And lastly, I'm gonna talk about LinkedIn and, and link, LinkedIn is probably the most difficult one to defend against. And, and we love LinkedIn as, as a hacker and as a pen tester because it shares everything about your, about your organization. All I need is one email address. If I know how your email addresses work, if it's name.surname at company.com, got it. And I can go to LinkedIn, scrape all your employees, convert all of them into email addresses. I can fish you. I can use them as login names. I can see who reports to who. I can see the job ads and see all the information and technologies that you're using in the job ads. And if you're in a big enough company, I can actually pretend I'm from your Lisbon branch and talk to you and find social engineering information. So LinkedIn is terrifying. And there's not much you can do but inform your users about it to be really careful. And for me, it all ties together into a big house of cards. Just like we saw, just like the, the stalker, it takes one card to get pulled away, one piece of information, and it leads on to the next and to the next. And one password, one fished email, one unsecured site, and the house of cards comes tumbling down. And with that, feel free to reach out to us at Binary. We've we can definitely assist you. You can definitely you can drop me an email and I can definitely help you with some good resources.